Grow Great is a city government leadership podcast with Lisa Norris and me, Randy Cantrell. Each week we share insights, experiences, and wisdom to help you and your leadership grow great. Our website is growgreat.com. Well, we're in the new year now for everybody listening, and we are back with growgreat.com and Grow Great Podcast. So we're excited to kick off this uh, second week of the new year with Daniel Sesney, our police chief. I've He doesn't know it, but I've made reference to him several times in other episodes, and we're really glad to have him on. Grow Great is about growing you, the city, uh, your community, and relationships, uh, and your team to be better, better than they are today, uh, and improved each day that you go along. So our topic now is influence. And I loved having Daniel on. He is uh, great at relationships, and I think he can lend a lot to our listeners, to you out there that that are working with, whether it's a peer, Daniel and I are peers, whether it's working with the community, Daniel, policing is in a tough industry right now, has been for several years, maybe different than it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, So I know community relationships and challenges exist for you and your team. Um, And not only that, like I said, working with city council, you know, people have new councils out there. We have a new council, uh, different members, and they bring a different um, perspective than maybe you've worked with in the past. Doesn't mean bad, just different. So I wanted to open it up and influence is, I know, a passion of yours um, in growing your people, Uh, but introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners first, and then we'll dig into the topic. Sure. Well, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on. It's it's an honor. Um, and the fact that you've mentioned me before, I it's only true if she said good things. If it was bad things, <laughs> not, it's true. <laughs> uh, as Lisa mentioned, my name is Daniel Sesney. I, I um I've been the police chief here in Grand Prairie for right at three years. I came up here in Grand Prairie, uh, been a cop here uh, since two thousand one. Uh, before that, uh, I grew up in uh, Camarillo, California. It is uh, in Ventura County, sort of a farming, strawberry farming community when I lived there. If you live there now, you have to hold your pinky out when you drink. It's kind of hoity-toity, but <laughs> it, it wasn't that way when I lived there. Uh, in fact, we didn't even have an air conditioner, believe it or not. Um, went through high school, uh, up through high school there. I lost both my parents at a really young age, my mom at eight and my dad when I was 17. So I had to figure out um, how to get uh, three hots in a cot, so to speak. And so um, I joined the Marine Corps. I'd like to say that I did that to uh, out of this patriotic uh, sense of duty. But the truth of it is my best friend came home on boot camp leave and he had a, a jazzy new car, probably on crazy high interest and a dress blue uniform. And all the girls were paying him attention and <laughs> it seemed like he had the world by the horns. And so at 17, uh, I can see how that would make an impression. Yeah. So I'm impressed uh, now. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, until you until you show up there and uh, the welcome committee is a little bit different than you might expect anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> So I was actually there on Easter Sunday was my first day and um, they made quite an impression, so to speak. So anyway, joined the Corps, um, 
completely saved my life. No question about that. Uh, they taught me a lot about leadership in, in the Marines. They've been doing it very well since 1775. Um, after I got out of the Marines, I um, spent about just a New York minute uh, being a private eye, chasing around, cheating husbands and wives. I don't recommend that job to anybody. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> It would destroy your uh, image of the institution of marriage. Um and then I joined the Grand Prairie Police Department, where I've been for, for over 21 years now. And since I've been here, I've been fortunate enough to spend time in our, our street crimes unit, patrol. The bulk of my experience is an investigation where I was a narcotics detective for quite some time, and then a, a major crimes detective where I investigated homicides for many years. Um, from there, um, I put, promoted a supervisor, sergeant, and my predecessor, was um, looking for assistant chiefs, and he opened up to all the supervisory ranks, which at the time, um, I mean, I'm the line level supervisor, and I thought, you know, I got something to offer. I'm going to throw my name in the hat, and just about every one of my peers was telling me what a knucklehead I was for even thinking about doing that, but uh, I did, and I was successful and uh, promoted to assistant chief. Did that job for about three years. And then my boss, um, then and still, because he promoted to city manager, uh, he went to city management. And um, I think, well, I take that back. When I became the police chief, he wasn't the city manager yet. He was a, a deputy city manager. I think city management does it different. My deputy, it's he wasn't an assistant, right? At least he was a deputy. That's right. He was a deputy, which is a number two. Yeah, we do that different police side. So deputy is number three for us. So anyway, I get those confused. But anyway, he became the deputy and Tom Hart, his predecessor, promoted me to the assistant chief or excuse me, the chief of police. And um, I've been doing that job for three years. By the way, uh, perfect time to become the police chief with COVID, uh, all the civil unrest with George Floyd. Um, we lost a Cobra in Grand Prairie. Boy, that was fun. So, you know, it's been it's been bonkers. So <laughs> when yeah, he says cobra, he means a real snake. If yeah. you didn't hear the news, right? Yeah, that's right. Your listeners are from all over. I should yeah. be clear. A West, some one of our residents uh, somehow got a West African banded cobra within the city limits that escaped here. And slightly can, poisonous, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, slightly. Yeah, and I tell you, <laughs> believe it or not. The hospitals here just don't carry around antivenom for a West African banded cobra. So, Matt, speaking of leadership, what a leadership challenge that was trying to dig up some antivenoms for our hospitals to have on, on hand in case, God forbid, somebody got bit by that snake. So thank God we've had plenty of uh, sub-freezing days since then, and uh, those, those cobras don't care for the uh, freezing weather. So I think we're in the clear. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing that, Daniel, because I think that's important. Uh, I think it's important for our listeners to understand moving from sergeant to yeah. assistant chief is a big leap. True. So you had yeah. to have some kind of influence where, in my opinion, you were selected for that. And even though your, 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 your troops or whomever are telling you you're crazy, there's something there to speak to the respect that you've gained during that time to make that leap and transition and then go to chief following that pretty quickly. Yeah. I tell you, it, the folks telling me I was crazy were all my, like my, my, my boss, who's a Lieutenant <laughs> deputy chief. They're like, look, you don't have a chance here. My troops were uh, very supportive. Actually, they, they, they were 
pushing me in that direction. Um, but yeah, I created some challenges because, you know, keep in mind, and when you when you triple promote like that, you're essentially um, you're your boss's boss's boss. Uh, the next day, if, if not quite that way, but that's how it felt like a Monday, I'm a sergeant Tuesday, I'm, you know, senior leadership. And but, you know, I, I think that the secret sauce there is. I'm Daniel on Monday, I'm Daniel on Tuesday, that doesn't change. And in fact. My initially, my my team. One of the things I like to do whenever I I send something out to my my folks, is uh, I always sign my name. A lot of folks will say Chief, blah blah blah, or they'll put their their uh, signature line in there with all their titles and all the fancy letters behind their name. I don't ever do that. I just put Daniel on every single email, and my thought process there is simple. One, we're a family here. It's very tight knit. We've got um, over 500 employees, uh, 300 sworn officers. 500 employees in police alone. In police, yeah, thank you. Yep. Um, That's low. I I know it's more than that, but I I was a good chief. I've had that number. It took my time. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, You know, but honestly, we're very tight. And my my thinking there is, you know, if you're this stoic, stuffy guy in the corner office, you know, when real problems happen, nobody's going to bring them to you. Right. But if they they know you as an individual and they know Daniel, then um, that gives us a really great opportunity to collectively tackle these these problems, which in the police business come around fairly often. So it's it's nice to have a team that um, I like to think know me more on a personal level. Yeah. Well, and and I think that's important. And as we're talking about influence today, um, let let's start with there because the audience can audience can clearly be different for you. Uh, yeah. If you're talking to a council member, that may be one way. If you're talking to your team that's going through a crisis, uh, that could be another way. If it's the community and community leaders, that could be different. I mean, the audience does matter. So let's start with first what when you talk about influence. What what's important to you and what does that mean? So our audience has perspective and then we'll kind of dive into what that looks like from an audience perspective and how you modify your approach, depending on the audience, when you're trying to influence on whatever the matter is. Well, yeah. So for me, understand that um, in the police world, but I think really this applies to everybody. There's a lot of different stakeholders and in order to get everybody to the table and be effective, you've you got to build that buy-in. And the only way you can do that is through influence. So from I'll start with my team. We have a very difficult job. And our, our mission is not just public safety, but it's problem solving. And, and to do that, we need to have our team buy into that mission. And if they're just here punching a time clock, it's not going to work. They've got to understand the strategy. They got to understand the mission, and they got to believe in it. Um, so, for me, in order to accomplish that, I have to understand that you know we're using the word influence. I'm really not influencing just the line level guys because there's some folks in between us. I have to influence the influencers because if the sergeant, the lieutenant, the the uh, the deputy chief. Assistant chief, if they're not buying in, 
then it's just going to be like, well, do it because the old man in the corner office says so. And then you're going to get bare bottom. Bare minimum. Bare minimum. Mm -hmm. But if you can get everyone on the team to understand why are we doing this? What's the, what's the end game? Then not only are they more inclined to, to want to do it, but understand that in our business, you got to make battlefield decisions. And if you can't understand the, the why behind it, then when you have to make those split decisions, you don't have time to run everything through the chain of command, but you can make those decisions. So, so how do I do that? Well, it's subtle things. First of all, I lead, my, my strategy is very simple. I tell my assistant chiefs, I want you to win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to tell you how to pick your players. So I let them build their teams and I stay out of that uh, very, very rarely while I exercise the veto power at the Chiefs pin. <laughs> very rarely. Because they're closer to uh, understanding who their rock stars are. So they get the right people on the bus in the right seats. That's a John Maxwell, I think I'm stealing from. Maybe it's somebody else, but you guys know you're in the leadership business. Um, and get the right, the right folks attacking the mission. And then give them the autonomy to make those decisions. But most importantly, remove the roadblocks. That's right. If we can just figure out what those roadblocks are and get them out of the way, good things happen. So I'll tell you a story. When I was a, a, a sergeant, we had this uh, process where if a patrol officer makes an arrest, they would, um, and, they, and they got some drugs off the street, they have to come in, you got to bang out this report, and you have to check a box that says the drugs were booked into the evidence locker, right? A little oversimplified, but you get the gist. Well, if they didn't check that box, the sergeant gets the report, looks at it, oh, they didn't check the box. Think the sergeant could check the box for him? Nope, system won't allow it. So now you got to pull the officer back off the street. They got to come in. They got to check the box. Then it goes back to the sergeant. Yep, the box is checked. Now it goes to the lieutenant, and then it goes to the property room. So imagine how much time is wasted on the simple box check, bringing the officer back off the street. How many citizens at, at 15 minutes times 300 cops times 365 days a year, how much time is wasted for patrolling and keeping our citizens safe because of this box being checked? So I make assistant chief. And as you can imagine, that box was high on my list of, of things to get rid of. And I go to our property room and I say, hey, what happens if you don't uh, check the box for the drugs? Care to guess what happens? Nothing. Zip. <laughs> Nothing. They just check the box. So <clears throat> we have a lot of things in our world that are boxes that aren't getting checked. That we get too focused on the process rather than the mission. And, or the uh, value, or the value. Or the value. Mm -hmm. And so I think finding out where those boxes are, so to speak, is how I build built influence with my team is getting those roadblocks out of the way. And um, they cops like catching crooks, but they hate busy work. And I think that's true of everybody. Nobody likes yeah. to just, you know, fill out the TPS reports to make an <laughs> offense reference. It sucks. So can I say sucks on your podcast? You can. You can. You <laughs> Randy didn't hit the clicker to oh, you just did. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, so I, I think um 
that's one way. I'll tell you another way that I think is incredibly important as it, it, as it relates to building influence with your team is understanding you don't know everything and admitting when you're wrong. Um, a lot of my peers, I, I suspect, think that's a sign of uh, weakness. And I could not disagree with that more. I think my team appreciates when I say I got it wrong. And I'll give an example of a time I've recently got it wrong. Um, I noticed that our uh, our officers, their uh, dress we have a we have a strict dress code policy here as it relates to the wearing of the uniform, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. I, I want our officers to get out of the car and our citizens to see our officers looking squared away and not look like they got hit by a scud wrinkle bomb and uh, you know polished boots. And I think it sends a message to the would-be criminal that maybe that's not an officer I want to mess with because they're squared away. Maybe is that a little Marine Corps carryover? Probably, but I think there's value there. Well, so we amended our policy to tighten up some things. I don't allow beards. I saw, saw a little bit of that sneaking in. I saw some, some belts that were looking like they got drugged behind their car on their way to work. So <laughs> I tightened some of that up. But one of the things that we did was we added in there um, some uh, grooming standards and including uh, artificial hair. And in my thinking was I'd, I'd gone to a meeting with one of my um, civilian uh, departments that report to me. I don't want to say who it is, but it was a, c- a civilian subset of the police department. And one of the employees showed up wearing very bright purple hair. I mean, it was like, and by the way, I'm a TCU fan. So you would think I would let that get away, <laughs> but I, I can't, can't wear it that way to work. So in my mind's eye, I wanted to adjust that. But what I didn't account for was that there are many. Impl- so I did away with artificial hair. Well, there are many in my uh, department that by um, virtue of their culture wear weaved hair. It, it wasn't even on my radar screen. I just I blew it. I, mean, I got it wrong. So. Um, some of those employees came in. I keep my door open all the time. They said, look, chief we think you got this wrong and we'd like you to take another look at it. And they're right. They were hundred percent right. So I shoot out an email to my team suspending that section of the policy. And I'm trying now to get it right. But what was so meaningful to me about that lesson was that my team felt comfortable enough to come to me and sit down and say, Hey man, you're wrong on this. And I hope I built credibility with them to admit I got it wrong because I did. So, by the way, anybody list, learn from my mistake? That was a that was a crash and burn. So, anyway, <laughs> um, admit when you're wrong. I think is important. Well, and I think as you talked about it, what's important here too? We talk about humility a lot. You you may or may not have heard any of the podcast, Daniel, but humility was one of our key leadership traits. And actually, that's where I mentioned you um, because when you interviewed, you know, I was on the interview panel with the directors, and we had a Q and A. And you were one of the candidates. And I specifically remember asking about relationships. I mean, in, you're talking about influence here. We were talking about it in the interview, if you remember. And I and we talked about what are you going to do when when you've now promoted from sergeant, a line level, to an assistant chief that has to work with all these other directors more prominently than you probably did as a sergeant. Sure. Uh, because we're 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 now not quite peers, but we're almost peers because of the involvement with the other teams across the city. 
And I remember you specifically saying, well, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Correct. You know, you were like, I have to lean on you as experts and get your perspective in order to make a good decision. And if I'm not doing that, that's on me. And I remember that response. And we talked about that in our humility uh, podcast episode of how important that is to be humble enough to know you cannot be an expert in all things. And if you think you are, you are going to get it wrong a lot. Now, you don't do that, but you recognize that you can't be the expert on everything. And you listen to your team when they came to you. And I agree with you that influence is empowerment and trust. It creates both of those naturally if you do it well. Yeah, I, thank you for that. I, um, I, I agree with that. I, I, would, I would tell you that um, it's interesting you brought that up because when I made chief, I had the ability to uh, select um, some of my assistant chiefs. And, you know, I, I think the... Um, There's a there's a probably a, a common urge to pick like-minded people as your number twos. And you know, I'm not suggesting that 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 you want to pick somebody that's a polar opposite, but what I do suggest is is that you pick people not because they think like you, but because they, they fill your gaps. So when I was looking at at the potential candidates, you know, there were folks on there that may have been better than others in certain areas, but the real, the real crux was where can they fill, fill uh, my deficiencies the best? And That's right. my, my backdrop is, is uh, as I mentioned, is really heavy in the investigation side, but in the patrol side, it's nowhere near as heavy, particularly at the command level. So uh, early on, I wanted to pick an expert in that area so that when he's talking, I shut up and listen. Right. Yeah. And and, um, and I think that's true of you, Lisa, and our other department directors. You know, we have a department directors meeting uh, weekly, well, actually biweekly. Biweekly. Yeah. And, um, and it's really great opportunity because I can sit there and listen to, you know, some of my peers tackling their issues. And I can't tell you how much I've learned. I'll give you another example. <clears throat> I remember making a cheap. And, and uh, I went to my first budget meeting. I've got a 60 some odd million dollar budget now. But at the time, as an A chief, um, I was responsible for my bureau's budget. And I remember I'd been an A chief for five minutes. And I'm looking at this list of line items and <laughs> accounting codes. And I'm like, holy Jesus, I have <laughs> no idea what I'm looking at here. Right. None. And I'm in, I'm in charge of it. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I relied very heavily on uh, the folks at purchasing and in, in finance to teach me those ropes, which brings up another point is you need to learn those jobs. If, if, if you were fortunate enough to, um, you know, be promoted over a spot or two, you better go back and learn those jobs because you need to know them. And that was certainly the case for me was being able to ask those assistant chiefs and deputy chiefs, hey, I don't have a clear understanding on this. Would you teach me? Or in our case, finance, you know, Ryan Simpson and I, uh, Ryan is, is my bean counter. He, uh, he and I- A very good hours. one at that. Oh my gosh, he's great. <laughs> uh, he's now yeah. assistant director here. He, um, 
he's taught me a lot about dollars and cents. Cause to me, I feel like I've got a 60 some odd million dollar budget. And it's like, I want one of those, Ryan, you know, how do I buy it? You know, it's like, well, you got to use this fund and that fund. And anyway, um, I, I think you're right. Being surrounded by smarter people is, is key to success. That's right. And so much, I, I don't you agree that so much of, we have to build the culture first of trust in order to influence, because if they don't respect you and what you're trying to accomplish, buy-in's not going to happen from the start. They have to be on board and you have to live it and prove it that, that you're breathing it as well. Would you agree? Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of tangible strategies there that I, that have worked very well for me that I would offer. So first of all, <clears throat> understand you're going to have detractors that that's going to happen. And, and tell them what you mean by that. Folks that are not on team Daniel. <laughs> yeah. And that can be, that can be uh, external people. Um, that can be internal people. Mm-hmm. And you know, police department has their share. And I think the way to, to win those hearts and minds is in, in a lot of ways, and, and I'll give you several, but first of all, it's, it's leading by example. So we have a lot of opportunities in the police department. But again, I think this transcends the police department. We've had, um, gosh, countless number of now freezing cold, you know, wind chill, zero degree days, right? Or in Texas, we also enjoy 110 degree days. In the same week. (laughs) Yeah, right. Sometimes. In my view, those are days where the chief of police and everybody wearing a star needs to be out on the street, waving traffic, working traffic accidents, figuring out what the worst call on the planet is and go out there and work those because your team will see you out there and know, you know what? That guy's not just sitting in the corner office when it's, you know, giving us orders. Yeah. Right. You know, and uh, um, so we did that. We, we, we actually slept in the building sometimes when the weather was really bad because uh, just to be with our teams. So that, that would be one thing I would recommend. And that that includes, you know, again, if HR or city management. I mean, look, it might, I'm not, never been either, but I would humbly recommend that if you are asking your teams to do something in, in an incredibly difficult situation, it pays off to go spend some time in those trenches. That's right. So that'd be number one. The other thing I would say as it relates to influencing those individuals on your team particularly the detractors, is recognize that you're not always going to be able to get that individual directly. So, but if you can understand who influences them and you can influence that person, well, then you're winning. So sometimes for me, that looks like um, maybe that's through um, radio. Maybe that's through social media. Maybe that's through a close associate of your detractor and getting them on your team. And then once you've built that relationship with that individual, they will then through osmosis um, influence the person that's not necessarily in your camp. We have to do that a lot. You know, recognize that in our business, if there's an individual that does something incredibly unethical, like in Minneapolis, the very next day, or really thanks to social media, 
the next, very next hour. Minute, yeah. They are uh, accusing us of the very same things because our uniform looks the same. And we don't police that way. So our strategy there is, is to try to build those relationships early so that we can, um, if we have to make a withdrawal on that emotional capital, we have that capital in the bank already. Mm. It's too late to try to, to do that when the crisis hits. It's too late. And we've had our share of trying to deal with those national crises here at Grand Prairie. We've just been very lucky because we spend a lot of time in relationship building. That's right. And, and you guys do so much, uh, as I'm sure many departments around the United States do. Um, you know, we unfortunately with social media, you, you typically hear about the bad stuff. And I'm glad to see in recent, at least in the recent year, they're, st- they're starting to better promote the good stuff. And I know you guys try to promote the good stuff and make it very visible. Um, you do a lot of community policing, a lot of engagement. You guys are at a lot of external events continually to build those positive relationships. And I've seen you out there talking with community, um, talking with young young people, um, getting their perspective. Um, so I think that that influence is huge from a community perspective. Um, and thank you for sharing the stories. So let's talk now about influence. So police chiefs have to deal with a lot of difficult issues with councils and with city manager's office, both of which have that interaction in different ways. Does influence look the same as what you're applying to your team and your community, or does it now morph into something in a different way and why? No, I think all everybody's looks different. Um, I think understanding what your elected officials are looking for is a, they want responsiveness B they, they, you have to understand that they are answering to the public who elected them and the public expects certain things. So they have to demonstrate to the public that they are responsive to their needs. So I I would encourage folks to guard against, um, let me put it to you this way. When I made police chief, I thought I had this idea in my mind that I'd be thwarting a terror plot on Monday. I'd be saving a baby out of a crying, uh, a burning building on Tuesday. Uh, you know, active shooter on Wednesday. That that's not what the job of a police chief looks like. I'm here to tell you. I, I get barking dog call uh, calls to my desk. I get uh, there's a there's an 18 wheeler big rig parked in my neighborhood. The grass is too tall. <clears throat> And those those complaints come in through our our council because our elected officials have a portal that they receive those complaints through. What I would recommend that everybody guard against is your job isn't to be a crime fighter if you're a police chief. Your job is to be a problem solver. And the elected officials aren't bothering you on a Saturday because they feel like messing with uh, uh, the, the grass being 11 inches tall. It's because they have constituents that are calling them, right? So getting out of that mindset that uh, this isn't my job or- um, Or it's it's too minor. It's too minor mm-hmm. is, is key. Get rid, just throw that in the garbage can. What you got to realize is, is you need to have your team recognize that you're in the problem solving business Let's get all of our stakeholders together and let's just knock it out. And I think once we're able to do that, we've been pretty good at that and, and quickly, 
then our elected officials understand that, okay, they get it. And then those things start to reduce on their own. Right. And they start understanding um, that we've got it. Um, and, you know, particularly new elected officials don't understand that there are some, some people that are going to complain because the sky is blue. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is. But you know what? Even a broken clock's right twice a day. And so you got to look at everyone. You look at everyone, see if there's merit there, and you move on and you let the noise go. And I'm very lucky here in Grand Prairie that we've got a very supportive council. They don't always agree on every single issue, but they've always heard me out and they've always given me a fair shake. I know that not all chiefs can say that. So, and I, I like to believe that's because I've had an opportunity to build those relationships with them sat down with every one of them. I showed them what policing in our shop looks like, uh, our crime fighting strategy and uh, how we do our business. And they've been great. Yeah. And talk about influence. So much of that is really responsiveness through responsiveness and taking action on something that in your world truly might be minor, but you, you treat it like it's high priority because you're in the you know, problem solving business, like you said, and your team takes it as a priority. All that does is make you guys look amazing. Why would yeah. we not want to do that to not only our community members that see we're responding, but that the council members can get things done for those constituents as well. And we can do it well. And if it's a no, we can at least sometimes with council, and I'm sure our listeners have this, we have it. Sometimes it's just education. They don't understand a process or don't know how, and we can educate and fix that makes everybody better, right? Sometimes it's that, that's a necessary part as well. Yeah, I, and, and I think when you say that education, that, that isn't just for council. Where, where we struggle is, is making sure that the why is communicated all the way down. That's right. So, so keep in mind that, you know, you, you'll get a, a line level officer that's maybe they're just told, Hey, go write a uh, a ticket because there's an 18 wheel in a parking lot at this address. And it's, oh, great! You know, here comes another <laughs> da, da 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 da. Without understanding that, that that's a leadership failure because the, the officer isn't uh, educated on the why behind right. we're going to go take care of that business. So I, that's the secret sauce, man. Is getting your team to understand from from stem to stern. The why and and you know there's a lot of criminological theories here. There's there's you know there's a I don't want to bore everybody, but if you're having a hard time falling asleep, read about broken windows uh, theory. It, it talks about these blighted neighborhoods that crime tends to go up, and whereas if if it's a manicured neighborhood, people take more uh, ownership in their own yards and so forth, and and crime goes down. There's a there's a good reason to be out there worried about the grass being tall. And it's just not because somebody complained. It's because we're problem solvers. We're crime fighters, too. So so what does that mean to the cop? Well, if I'm the sergeant, I'm saying, well, here's what it means. A, the R, the not just the yard looks better. You'll stop getting these complaints, but also crime goes down, which means you're not going to take as many reports, which means the crime rate's going to go down, which means your council is going to be happy, which may mean you get a pay raise. Oh, wow. Suddenly it's like, wait, I'm now. I'm now part of the solution. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, now it all starts to come together instead of just saying, hey, go write a ticket. It's being strategic versus tactical. 
And so much, you know, you look back 10 years ago, so much of everybody's business was tactical. It was just getting the job done each day. And I think I'm proud in our city, and I'm sure there are many cities like that, that Tom initially and Steve continues to promote, find the yes, find the yes when you can, solve the issue and make it better tomorrow than it was today. And he empowers us to do it. He doesn't tell us how. He says, go go do, go figure it out of what that means in your department in serving others, period. It's that simple. Serving them, which equates to influence, which equates to problem solve. I mean, they're all... Sure. They all play a role in those relationships that we talk about to have a great community. And, and, you know, like I said, in our grow great, growing people to be great, growing your team to be great. You can't do that without influence and you can't do it without them understanding the why. So they feel a part of it. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I think one of the dangers that we have to guard against is we are in a, in a culture where we move a thousand miles an hour. Like for instance, my cell phone, it's an electronic umbilical cord. You can't escape. And so what happens is we tend to technology is a good thing, but it's gotten to where we want immediate answers. We need everything fast. And so everything is moving at a, at a uh, lightning, pace. Speed. Mm-hmm. lightning pace. Thank you. And so what happens is that begins to, permeate everything that we do. And so when we're trying to communicate that message, many times they're just saying, go knock, go knock this out without the explanation. We're in a do it now, do it fast mode. And there, there's where we start losing all of the, the why and the influence. I'll give you a great example. I had a, a a guy on my team who um, he came in my office and he said, I want to thank you for thank you. And I'm like, okay, buddy, I'm lost. What do you mean? He says, well, um, you'd sent me a note, asked me if I could knock something out. I did. And you, you spelled out the word, thank you. And what he had been getting is uh, on text from a different leader, T-Y. Now, I've done that on my, on my text. I've done that a thousand times. You're just moving quick TY for thank you. But his takeaway on that was if you can't even take the time to spell out the word, thank you, then it's meaningless. That was his takeaway. Now, do I believe that? Not necessarily, but it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what your gut, your team thinks, right? I've never and it's forgotten. knowing him. It's knowing that that's important to him now 100%. that you can react different. Can I tell you, I've never done TY since. I always spell out thank you because I'm like, okay, man, that makes sense to me. So I know I went down a rabbit trail there, but I think it's important to understand that to your team, if we're moving so fast that we can't explain why, you're you're not going to influence them. They're just going to do it because your rank is higher. And that's that you're going to get bare minimum if you do it that way. Well, and that goes to your direct point of I, I do think it it may have been a rabbit hole, but it's a good rabbit hole because that shows the power of influence up and down. You had a, a person, I'm assuming that was beneath you, correct? Yeah, yep. He's one of it my was directors. on your team. Doesn't mean they were less valued than you, but they were lower on the totem pole. And they tell you how important that is by just making a statement to you. And it changed your behavior. So talk, we've, 
Randy and I have talked about people think you have to be in a position of authority and power to influence. And I believe that's absolutely false. You can be any in any position and influence and serve up, out, and down. 100%. In fact, I would argue that your uh, non-formal, uh, informal leaders are more influential. That's right. The, the, your line-level folks, you can go into any police roll call. You can pick out who your leaders are, That your non-formal or informal leaders. You can pick them out. Um, and by the way, when you talk about your detractors, if you can identify who your informal leaders are in your organization and you can get them on board, that will take care of a lot of your internal detractors all by itself. That's right. That's right. Well, I appreciate you you sharing that too, Daniel. Um, so we've talked a little bit about community. We've talked about council and how that looks different. Um, I'd like to hear from your perspective on influencing of your peers. So you and I, um, those yeah. that are not in your role don't understand policing, but how, how do you provide influence since we just talked about, you know, down, out and up, let's talk about the out. And then subsequently, let's talk about the up. How do you, how do you influence your city manager? How do you influence, um, you know, your deputy city manager that may not work with you? Cheryl, Cheryl is not over police and fire. She's over me, but she has a team that has to work with you. So can you talk about those two things and what that looks like from an influence standpoint? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think you have to know your uh, bosses and how they tick. Uh, Cheryl and Steve are two totally different leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, With Steve, I understand that I need to be decisive and deliberate and give him what he needs and, and answer the question he asked. Don't go down this long narrative on things he didn't ask. If I think he's going to hit a, a, um, a, a pothole, I tell him flat out, I, I think this course of action, you're going to, you're going to hit a pothole. And then if he wants more information, he's going to ask. And then we'll, we'll d- drill in at that point. Um, I've learned working with him over the years. He, that's just how he is. He, he moves a thousand miles an hour and he's not really interested in this long even emails. Don't send that guy a two-page email. That's a mistake. Yeah, you know it needs to be like six le- six words or less. Right. And by the way, please don't send me a two-page email. We're busy. Right? <laughs> Randy and I, Randy and I have talked about if you can't say what you need in the subject line, do not send it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, and you know, so with him, um, he's very results-oriented. He wants. He wants to know what's the subject. Let's knock it out and let's get going. Miss um, Cheryl is is a different leader altogether. Um, she is more interested in a little bit of extra there, in my view. I don't work directly for her, but I have worked with her on a bunch of things. And so my point is um, she she's more interested in a little bit of the extra why behind it uh, on the front end, in my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've had far more direct contact with Steve. He's my direct boss. Yep. Um, understanding what your boss needs from you and then being able to deliver that. And then when you haven't asked, just ask it, man. I do not beat around the bush with the, my boss. Anyway, just, just go right for it and then tell them why. And then let's move on. Um, as it relates to my peers, you know, it's very difficult for me to, to give you a strategy there because I, I think the answer is just be you. 
you know, for me, being a police chief is just a job. It, and my peers could care less what my job is, right? They under, they've got their own job and their own um, mission. And understanding how I fit into that mission is important. I, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's Daniel. That, that's my strategy. And I know people call me chief. I prefer Daniel. That's just how I do it. And, and I think for us, especially, it works really well. And when I call Lisa, I mean, you may answer the phone for me when you're on vacation fishing, which I didn't know you were on vacation. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I like to believe that's because we get along so well. And right. I, I have that relationship with my peers. And then and the last thing I would say on the peers is also give it to them straight. Mm-hmm. If they call you and they're getting ready to hit a, a, a pothole, just call balls and strikes, man. I mean, don't just because they're your pal, let them, you know, hit that pothole or drive off that cliff. Cause that, you know, this is a team sport, what we do in city government. It's a team sport. We all pull a different part of the, the wagon, but it's all going the same direction. And, you know, if you fail, I fail and vice versa. So, well, I think, uh, you know, it's, I think an, an interesting point here at least for me, um, I'd be interested in your perspective and in Randy, even being from private sector primarily, but working with city managers and leaders as he coached so much when I develop relationships and influence really boils down to what you talked about early on is relationships, trust, and then especially respect. When I respect the leader because they respect me, we, know, we are in completely different in, in industries, but just saying, hey, I need to ask, I just need their opinion on something. I need their position. It's much easier to go into battle for them when you need to, you know, not falsely. Yeah. Like you said, Randy and I have talked a lot about you need to lean into who you are. I don't want to try to be Daniel. You don't want yeah. to try to be Lisa, but I respect what you bring to the table and your perspective because you provide it back in such a way that it's safe. It's safe for yeah. me. And I go to the theory, if you remember, um, I remember we were in COVID. I can't remember if you were brand, when did you become chief? What year? Was that in the middle of COVID? 2020. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I remember Cheryl was new. Um, and I don't think she'd mind me sharing this. And I may have shared this on another podcast, but I remember her during COVID, during this peak, we're in crisis. We're all trying to figure it out. And new laws. Yeah. New laws. All I mean, everybody's running on fire, frantic, just trying to figure stuff out every day. We're meeting right as a team. Um, Emails are coming out from from city management on. okay, today's updates are X. But I remember during that time, Cheryl calls me and said, hey, you need to fix the relationship with police. Do you remember that call I made to you? Yeah. Do you remember my answer? I do. I do. So for the listeners. I even remember the answer. Yeah. (laughs) And so I remember Cheryl going, you need to fix your issue. You you need to fix your relationship with police. And I'm like, what's going on with police? I I thought we were good to go. I've got a great relationship. She goes, (laughs) no, not so much. Uh, And so I was like, okay, well, she goes, but, you know, be careful on how you, on how you share kind of, um, she was just giving me some guidance that go fix it. A lot of directors, if they're told that could get frustrated. I mean, they could say, oh, here we go. You know, I'm going to somebody's complained. They're not going to tell me what, uh, and you can get really defensive. Well, Lisa Norris is I'm huge on relationships because when I need you, 
I need you in my, in my corner. And so I called Daniel. I said, Hey, I'm sorry to bother you. Can can you help me understand what's going on and, and how we can improve HR service to police? And he's like, what are you talking about? We're yeah. awesome. You know? <laughs> and I just remember you going, wait, wait. And as what I, st- I said, well, I'm just here. I don't know the details, but I just, I want it. I want it really great. Cause we want to serve you. Well, have we done something? Daniel's first response is okay. Hold on. Hold on. I don't know what you're talking about, but let me check. I mean, again, humility, he goes and checks with his team. I think your assistant chiefs, maybe your DCMs. I don't know how far down you went. He checks with his team calls me back, says, I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody says it's an amazing relationship. Do you need me to call city manager's office right now? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, and then you can take it from there, Daniel. But the, the, yeah. the message to the audience that's listening is we had a good enough relationship. That was really important to me to serve you and not have a broken relationship because I trust you and you trust me. And the other thing, as I mentioned, trust I knew you wouldn't say anything that didn't need to be said, but I also knew you'd fix it if there was misconception because you weren't going to let sleeping dogs lie and and a fallacy go wrong. Correct. So I'll I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I do remember that call. And it really, you're right. It really surprised me. In fact, I remember exactly where I was when I got that call. I actually pulled (laughs) off the side road. I was like, wait, what? Because I I do value our relationship and it shocked me. I would tell you that, uh, we've got a pretty big organization, uh, relatively speaking. And, you know, sometimes when you hold people accountable, they're going to call the hotline and bark. It's just <laughs> the way it is. And, you know, that's just fine. Right. And I suspect you fell victim to a, a disgruntled employee that called the hotline to bark and uh, <laughs> it's fixed. So yeah. I'll just And we fixed it. I remember, you know, it it was interesting because once Daniel called me back, he said, do you need me to, I will go over there right now, like, and fix (laughs) this problem. And I said, no, 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 hold on. Maybe there's, you know, maybe it's misunderstanding. Let me call my, because I didn't, I don't think I told you the source. I said, I just got a a, a complaint. No, Um, you didn't. But but, I think I'll tell you the source of my frustration is, is understand that um, wherever that came from, they're speaking for me. They're speaking for our department and they didn't correctly. So there was my frustration is, is wait, wait a minute, where's this coming from? Why do I have a, do I have an arsonist in my organization that I need to address? And uh, because you, it can do a lot of damage, right? As, as you saw, I mean, you had mm-hmm. your boss involved uh, asking you to run down this fairy tale and, you know, do, does every organization get mad at HR once in a while for whatever reason, of course, mm-hmm. just like everybody gets mad at the cops when they get a speeding ticket. That's just part of the job. Mm-hmm. But our level of service has been fantastic. And, and I, I do value our relationship. I'm glad that I can pick up the phone when we have an issue. God knows we've had our challenges at the police department. You've helped us navigate those. So, yeah, I, I didn't. When you called me with that, I was a little concerned that I've got the city managers thinking that we're broken. And yeah, as far as I know, that's been repaired. Yeah. And that's exactly. And that was my whole point on um, relationships with peers is you you have to build like you talked about building that up in advance, building it with your team and having that. I forgot what your what your words were, but you talked about I have to do all this work all the time, not just when a crisis hits, because then it's too late. Okay, yeah, I agree. And I I would add to that that you really got to give 
everybody the benefit of the doubt, man, not just in your own shop, but all the other shops. I mean, generally speaking, people aren't doing things to, to stick it to you. It's, it's an, if there's something that the ball gets dropped, it's an oversight. It's a common mistake. And, you know, there's only one person that ever walked this earth that's never made a mistake. And it, mm-hmm. it's certainly not this guy. So I, I can just tell you, I, I think if, if you keep that open mind and realize, even if you think you're slighted, chances are somebody just made a mistake. Who yeah. cares? And, and, and in that particular situation, I don't even think that was the case. I think it was a, a benefit that somebody wanted that they weren't entitled to or some kind of nonsense like that, that, um, you know, we're trying to set the shop on fire. Yeah. And, and when I called, you know, I called back, I said, let me check with my source. I called my source and they, and I said, listen, we don't, I've called them. We don't know what's going on. Can you just double check whatever? I didn't ask. I didn't say who's complaining. Give me the name. I just said, can you go validate? And when they did, they called me back because this is nighttime. You and I are talking back and forth. I mean, this isn't during work hours. And I remember the source called me back and said, you know what? Absolutely my bad. And this is in the city manager's office, right? So this is somebody that equal to you said, I got it wrong. I, I misunderstood. We re-looked at it, consider it closed. You guys are, if you and Daniel are good and he's representing his department, then consider it good. My apologies. Yep. And and it was over. So, but it's like you said, I also had the trust to tell the city manager's office, look, we don't know where you're coming from. You don't have to tell me the source, but you need to double check the source. And they did it. And they admitted they got it wrong. So humility is key. Uh, in building this culture and building trust and building relationships and to be able to influence one another. Because guess what? Just like you learned on the hair issue, city manager's office said, no, we're going to look at this a little bit deeper before we call you now. It was a lesson learned, right? And it ended up being an email, a single email that they had misunderstood content, right? So those happen. And I think that's, that's the whole point of this. We are in very high authority, influential positions, and we do occasionally get it wrong and it's okay. We cannot, like you said, we cannot be perfect. No, we can't. And honestly, I think our teams appreciate when we admit that we got it wrong. That's right. I, I just, I just feel that that's key. So that's funny. I didn't know the backstory. It's funny that I find that out on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's just, it just happens. It's just how we roll every day. Uh, and it's truly is all about perspective. When we're talking about perspective, it was yours, it was mine, and then it became theirs. Right. And yeah. we, the, the, the whole point of that story is we all respected one another enough to ask and be genuine. And it's done. You could have, I could have held a grudge and said, gosh, they're always asking me to fix stuff and it's not my problem. And I could have taken a completely different approach and you could have, you could have said, yeah, I don't know what they're talking about, but Lisa, you're on your own, go fight that battle. (laughs) You know, but you didn't, you didn't, you were going to go to battle with me if we needed to. Amen. All right. Well, Randy, how about you? Before, yeah, before, before we dismount, And before I ask you to kind of give us some parting shots, some parting advice for growing leaders and what you do to grow your leaders in the department, because every organization is worried about bench depth and being able to pull people, you know, pull people people up. Um, but I want to first, well, I want to say two things. One, I was asked yesterday and I get asked this pretty, pretty commonly about excellence in city government. 
And I get asked by people in the private sector who know that I'm increasingly doing more and more work in this space. How hard is it to be, I, I was asked yesterday, how, how is it, is it, is it like nearly impossible to be excellent in city government? And today my standard answer is no, it's not. You just have to look to Grand Prairie, Texas. And part of that for your department has been the launch of this podcast, Grand Prairie police. And we'll put links in the show notes, uh, to the, the Apple and, and some of the other podcast platforms, but you've got a couple of, you got a couple of, of officers who, who are hosting a podcast. I'm curious as a podcaster, since this is what Lisa and I are doing, you know, how that's played out for you guys and what, what benefits you're, you're seeing from that. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, giving us a plug on the podcast. That was very kind. Um, I will tell you, it has been incredibly successful. I was very nervous about doing that. Um, but I think there's value in our uh, public getting to know us as individuals. Far too often, the only interaction that individuals have with the police is, is during a traffic stop or there's some type of enforcement encounter. I, I don't go to any social gathering that, that with civilians where they, I don't hear, Hey, this one time I got stopped by the police and you know, that he was wrong and I wasn't speeding. And, and it's just something that we encounter. And so keeping that in mind and also recognizing that we are not, an organization that uh, polices in an unethical way, like we've seen so much in the news. Um, I recognize that we have a story to tell here. And police, policing has a public relations problem. We are your brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. We shop at the same markets. Our kids go to school together. We are you. But for some reason, uh, because blood and guts lead in the news, and because uh, these sensational stories that are very unusual in law enforcement uh, get so much traction, there's a negative perception growing in uh, law enforcement. This ties back into my podcast, so just indulge me for a second. Uh, and that, that worries me. That there is, is, and in fact, uh, divisive content gets monetized on a lot of social media platforms. There's a great uh, story on uh, 60 Minutes about how this social media giant was monetizing these, these divisive content. I, I feel like that transcends just divisive content, but specifically goes to uh, police relationships with the community. And so there, there was another story where, you know, for the first time in forever, the public perception of police was uh, negative uh, or, or the positive perception was below 50%. So I recognize that while I know that's not true. That's the perception, which can be reality. So I had to find a way to humanize us as police officers. Now, having said that, the podcast was not my idea. That came to me from the shop floor, just like most of the good ideas do come from the shop floor. And initially, I was very apprehensive about it. But I thought, you know what? What a better way to tell our story to the public and who we are as individuals as dads, moms, veterans, not just cops. So that was what we did. We started a podcast and we started just grabbing random officers and say, tell us your story. And we didn't just, in fact, we don't talk a whole lot about policing. We talk about what, where, how, where'd you come up? How did you get here? What is it that, 
that moves you. And um, I mean, we've got guys from uh, I've got an assistant chief that's from uh, Kenya, speaks Wahili. I've got former NFL players. I've got special forces operators that have been Afghanistan, Iraq, Navy SEALs, uh, an opera singer. I mean, we are truly an eclectic bunch and it gives us that platform to do that. So long answer to a short question, but we are now in the top 20% of podcasts, whatever that means. Um, and I'm super excited about that. They had me get on there. Um, and I, uh, let it all hang out. And I, I gave all, all the good, the bad and the ugly about Daniel. And so <clears throat> some embarrassing, including falling off a roof into a rose bush when I was hanging my Christmas lights and, um, <laughs> and others. So you should check it out. And tell us that address again, Daniel, one more time. It's, uh, it's called the GPPD podcast. G as in Grand Prairie Police Department, GPPD. Yeah, and I'll podcast. put links. People can just go to the website and, and I'll, I'll, I'll put links to it. You've got a, you've got a, you've got a terrific page, by the way, that's the city website, but does the podcast have its, the, does the podcast have its own link as far as the I, web address? Cause well, I, don't I, normally, does. I don't think so either. I think you can just plug that into any of the forums that do podcasts and GPPD yeah. podcast will get you there. Yeah. We'll make it easy. Okay. We'll make it easy for our listeners. All right. My, my last, my, my, my last and only questions. Uh, I like these kind of episodes or I can just sit Me back because the conversation is, 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 is good. And I can just kind of sit back and listen. <laughs> and it's terrific. It's terrific. Thanks for being on. So a couple of takeaways as somebody, you know, participating in this, but, but thankfully being mostly silent. So here we've got a director of HR. We've got a police chief. We've referred to Cheryl and Cheryl, Cheryl gets Cheryl gets referred to quite often in our, in our podcast. Uh, but the takeaway for me and I hope for the listeners is so Daniel's door is open, but there's a lot of leaders who leave their doors open and that doesn't mean people come through them, but these doors are open and these people are going through these doors and they're going through the doors of, of their superiors and their people are coming in through their door because you've already heard two pretty vivid illustrations of leaders who admitted we didn't get that right and extending apologies and that humanity and that, that humility, I think goes a long way. So talk about your leadership team, Daniel, and how you're, how you're solidifying those, how you're trying to grow those people and what advice would you give to anybody in our audience who's in a position you know, I want to grow my people. What, what are some things that I can do? Yeah. So uh, the first advice I would give is, um, you know, there, there are a lot of opportunities where as, as being the chief, I'm inclined to knock it down. You know, maybe it's a camp, <clears throat> excuse me, a council presentation or uh, going to this event or that event. Um, I highly recommend bringing your number twos and threes with you to those things to give them exposure. My predecessor was great at that. I, I knew who all the players were before I became the police chief, and it gave me an opportunity to learn through osmosis. Um, he, um, most of the things that I've learned from my predecessor was just by watching rather than any uh, wisdom that he imparted. So I, I would encourage 
anyone listening to to get your your uh, subordinate leaders in an op- in those positions to watch you tackle those difficult situations. The other thing is sort of the golden rule. I, I, I certainly didn't bring this up. I'd be shocked if you didn't already discuss it. But I never, ever, ever criticize in public. Uh, but I always praise in public. Uh, leaders take the blame and they defer the credit. Uh, so I think that's an incredible takeaway. And then uh, the last thing I would add as it relates to uh, development is, I don't know if you can read this sign uh, that I have giant on my wall, but it's a quote from Harry Truman. And it says, uh, it's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. And um, that, that to me, um, I, I know we got, maybe I need to zoom it in there, but people are listening. Uh, to me, that that is really excellent in remembering that who cares who gets the credit if you get to the finish line? And uh, that's what we try to do really, really hard. That's right. I agree with that 100%. Because it's less about us and more about them anyway. It's team sport. Mm-hmm. We're all, it's a, this game is a team sport. You, you can't, can't do it alone. So that, that would be, in a nutshell, my parting shots, Randy, I guess, so to speak, as you said. Oh, well done. Lisa? I don't have anything else, Daniel. Uh, we really appreciate great insight that you've shared uh, to all of our listeners and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure they have too. And, I do want to uh, get in one more shot. Oh, <laughs> so before we hit the record button, Daniel makes a comment to Lisa and I that, you know, when cops walk in a restaurant, all the eyes are on them and, and how that can translate sometimes into just this whole topic of influence and relationship. I thought it was, I thought it was really insightful for a, for a non-cop, but sure. I get it. It connected some dots for me, connect those for our audience before we say goodbye. Yeah, sure. So, uh, we were just sort of chatting and, uh, I guess warming up before we hit click, click the button. And, uh, I was talking about how, um, sometimes cops are impatient and, um, the reason for that is, is it's, it's sort of ingrained in us uh, by virtue of our job. Anytime we walk in a room, a restaurant, you name it, it's almost like somebody, the record scratches and everybody looks over. It's like, what's the cops doing here? And so they immediately ask you, how can I help you? And you get immediate, instant uh, attention, whatever it is. And so you, get, you grow accustomed to that. And for some, it becomes an expectation, and that's not a healthy thing. But it also explains why cops are so dang impatient. And at times uh, when police chiefs or uh, officers or a chiefs or whatever are looking for help from their peers and they're coming across impatient, it doesn't make it right, but it's just because it's been beat in their head since the time they were a rookie. So I think in a nutshell, that's what I was referring to there. Yeah, but it explains a lot. And part of our part of our leadership recipe, there's a word in there that is understanding. And, you know, we're increasingly living in a world that doesn't seek understanding. You know, one of one of my favorite phrases that I probably say way too often, you know, judgment is easy. Compassion's hard. And most people do choose judgment. And it would be real easy to judge a police officer 
you know, by those, by those standards. I was sitting with a chief some years ago, uh, who was a client and he had a video that a buddy of his had sent and they had been on this high speed pursuit of, uh, of a known felon, big, big history with drugs and violence. And the, the cop is just at, just cussing a blue streak to get the man out of the car and was very concerned about that footage, what that, how that might depict him and the force, but the public doesn't understand the circumstance that there's a loaded nine millimeter right at the guy's hip as they pull this guy over and that it's been a high speed pursuit for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes. And the guy's got a violent history and you know, the context matters. It just matters, you know, and our, our ability to understand all this stuff matters. So no, I appreciate your service, uh, both in the Marines and now, and thanks for being with us, Lisa. Well, thank you for having me. This is, this has really been an honor for me. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to, uh, humanize, uh, police chiefs also, as well you're as pe- uh, you're a person too, <laughs> yes, as well as cops, Marines and, uh, um, TCU fan as well. That's so. You, so, just on that note, you I assume you're going to be watching the game then, huh? TCU well, and Georgia. Is it Georgia? Georgia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And by the I, time I people are clicking play, we'll know who won. But <laughs> we're obviously recording this before January the 11th. But. <laughs> I'm confident, Randy. I'm sticking. I'm hopeful. Sticking. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Yeah, go frogs. The, the point spread doesn't look good, but uh, I'm going to hold out hope because I, I. Uh, I guess I left out that I'm a TCU alumni. I went to college there, uh, got my, my graduate degree from TCU. So now is Very the, good. what brought you to Texas? We didn't ask that. And I was really curious. Yeah. So I, um, I got married when I was in the Marine Corps to my son's mother. And uh, when deciding whether or not we we're going to go back to California or come back to the Dallas area, like many good husbands, I did what I was told and I came back. <laughs> we, uh, we have uh, since uh, divorced. She's a great lady, but wasn't for me. And we, um, and then I got remarried to my late wife, Stephanie, who uh, lost her to breast cancer. So uh, I've got a special place in my heart for anybody that's going through that place. Cause that is hell on earth. So uh, anyway, I love Grand Prairie, Texas. I won't leave. I'm very lucky and blessed to, to uh, have whole bunch of blue brothers and sisters that uh that I, I love like they're my blood family so i won't i won't go anywhere that's how i got to texas that's all right. right i promise i'm done lisa all right no i appreciate you being on the show daniel hopefully our listeners gleaned a lot of value from this conversation i i believe it was a good one uh i i always enjoy working with you and thanks for thanks for joining us on the show thanks y'all appreciate you Thanks for watching and listening to Grow Great, a city government leadership podcast. For Lisa Norris, I'm Randy Cantrell. Be well, do good, grow great. The website is growgreat.com.